Hello there and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and if anyone out there knows how to pitch Nickelodeon a pre-TT, pre-teen, t- 2D, pre-teen, 2D pre-teen TV show, <laughs> I am all ears. <laughs> Please get in touch with me. <laughs> this episode is with award-winning multi-instrumentalist composer, arranger, and songwriter Kevin Smithers who composed the score for the upcoming HBO Mexican stop-motion animation television series, Frank Elda. Now, besides Frank Elda, Kevin has also worked on Mira, Royal Detective, Victor and Valentina, and Monster Island. And in our chat, Kevin is going to share how he got into composing and songwriting for animation, made the right connections to work on Frank Elda, and the ins and outs of what a career in animation music is like. So without further ado, let's jump in. How are you, Kevin? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I'm super interested about your career journey because, you know, you're from Mexico originally and then you s- studied in London and now you're in L.A. Is that correct? Yeah, man. I've been jumping around for many years. I don't even know where I live anymore. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, born and, <clears throat> born and raised in Mexico City. Yeah. OK, but tell uh, me how. Tell me why. OK, so did you know you wanted to become a composer or what would you what would you call yourself to some like? to somebody who asks, you know, an uncle, uncle comes to the family union and they're like, so what are you doing Kevin these days? Like, yeah, I think, I think the, 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 the most commonly used term is film composer, but like, I guess a proper term would be media composer okay. because, you know, I do music for film, music for TV, music for video games. I've done music for commercials in the past. So it's really any, any sort of media that needs music is kind of what I do. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. did you know you wanted to do this from a young age? Like, is that specifically why you went to London? No, I mean, I, I, I knew I wanted to do music. Um, you know, I started playing guitar and started doing, you know, I had my rock band and, you know, I was running around playing gigs and stuff when I was still in Mexico City. And then, you know, I started getting more into jazz and a little bit into classical music, decided I wanted to study music, studied a little bit in Mexico. And then, uh, but I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to play guitar. You know, I was just, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted to play guitar and write music. And, um, but I've always been passionate about film and animation. And that was kind of like, that's my passion. And this is going to be my job. You know, I never really thought I was going to end up working in the film industry. And then, you know, I got a scholarship to go and study in England, which was awesome. And uh, kind of halfway through my, my degree, I kind of realized that as much as I love playing jazz and doing session work and doing all that stuff as a guitar player, um, I just, I kind of wanted to write more music and I started leaning more towards writing orchestral music and big band stuff. And, and uh, at some point I just kind of put two and two together and I was like, oh man, I can, do that and I can also work in films at the same time under the same job and that's kind of when I like realized that that's kind of my that was my dream job you know but it wasn't until I was in college so you did you you wanted to be like a rock star at the beginning when you wanted to play just guitar like and then somehow I mean who doesn't (laughs) (laughs) um Yes and no. I mean, I, I I was just kind of having fun playing or you know playing music and um uh, certainly when I started playing more jazz I didn't want to be a rock star or that that yeah, dream yeah, went yeah. out the window um but yeah I think my, my real passion was just like making music 
you gotcha. know, more than like the rock star thing. So you, so like, I guess you, like, you're well into your career now. How do you, do you feel fulfilled in what you're doing? Like looking back to the journey and everything yeah. Oh, of course. I, I, I love it, man. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like any career, there's hardships and it's tough when you start out and, you know, that applies to anything you do, I would think. But I, yeah, I, I, I freaking love it. You know, nice. I love well, working film. Let's talk about when you started out. So like, you know, you say I'm listening right now and I want to be a composer for video games or television or film, et cetera. So you, you got a degree and then you put together a demo reel and then you just like, tell me how you got your first professional gig, like somebody to trust that you could be the one to do an amazing job for their, their thing they're putting money into. Right. So I, I think there's this two routes for becoming a composer. One is kind of, I'm going to do it on my own and I'm going to network from the bottom to the top and I'm going to, you know, create a demo reel and network with people and start making, you know, student films that win awards and then that'll translate into doing little indie movies that win awards and that hopefully that'll translate into doing bigger and bigger shows and movies. Um, obviously that that route is, is probably the hardest one because you're on yeah. your own and you're just kind of starting from zero and trying to figure out how to get in, in the door with a market that's very saturated. Um, <clears throat> that's definitely one way. And the second way that I would say is, you know, moving to a place where it's like a, a hub for composers, like London, like LA, like uh, uh, certainly Toronto, Toronto has some of that. Um, and then just finding kind of an assistantship or an internship with a composer that's busy enough that mm. needs help oh. and just yeah and just spending years with that person uh you know kind of learning the trade by doing it with them without having the pressure of like you know if you screw up it's on your ass necessarily um and at some point hopefully that composer will kind of you know bring you along to 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 do more things until you can you know kind of fly away on your own with kind of an interesting set of credits and uh, hopefully a network you know so let me guess the this latter path is what you chose what you did <clears throat> man I, I i kind of did a little bit of in, in between because i i yeah i came to la like eight nine years ago and you know i did the whole bring coffee to composers and producers and all that stuff just kind of being a fly in the wall figuring out how any of this really worked that you don't yeah. learn when you're in college how do you even sorry you know everybody says like i did the whole coffee thing how do you even make a connection to be like can i bring you coffee do you just show up at a studio and be like hi uh i have legs <laughs> like it's tell me tell me how you know how do you even because you also said do an internship with a composer like just one specific person who's like working on stuff and can have somebody sit beside them like yeah, I mean, it's, 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 um, I mean, the way that it worked for me is I, when I finished studying in London, I uh, got a scholarship to do a master's degree in Spain. Um, uh, at the time, Berklee College of Music from Boston had just opened a campus in Spain for master's degrees, because they didn't have any in Boston. I think they do now. And so I was kind of the guinea pig for their course, uh, me and 20 and uh, 19 other students. So I did the, the film scoring course there. And most of my teachers were from LA, uh, kind of visiting Spain to teach. And they were all kind of very adamant about like, you know, you have to go to LA and do the LA thing and, you know, try it out. So the, the, uh, the school sort of helped me out, put me in touch with composers that had like internship programs 
and uh, it's crazy because even even getting an internship nowadays is hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I found one, and I I kind of interned with a composer, and I was lucky that this composer that I was interning for at the time um, kind of had a, a bigger a big building with other composers in different rooms. So I kind of got to meet a lot of different composers through working with this just one composer. And that kind of trickled down into getting work from other people down the line. Hmm. Um, yeah. And after a little bit of doing that, it just kind of became a thing where I was like half of the time doing work for other composers and half of the time working on my own stuff. So I guess I was sort of in between those two paths that yeah, I just mentioned. That makes sense. You know? Yeah, I wasn't like a full-time assistant to anyone, but I also wasn't completely on my own. Yeah, but you're probably developing, I don't know, I was going to say two two strengths twice as fast, but maybe it was two strengths half as fast. Anyways, <laughs> how did you end up getting your first, you know, paid, hired uh, production is trustworthy of Kevin to take on mu music, yeah. I guess. What, and what was it? I like, how did how did that happen? I mean, the very first one, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's it's all word of mouth, really. Yeah. It's, it's always like, I did this, the producer or the director liked it. Uh, everyone was happy at the end of the project. So whenever something comes up, I'll be like, I'm going to recommend my composer because she was good at this. That's kind of how it happens like 99% of the time. Um, like for example, I can't remember what my film, for absolute first film and TV stuff was, but I can tell you what my first video game was, for example. And that is kind of like, uh, I guess, a, a, a story that encourages people to be proactive. Uh, there was this, this video game that I did called World War Tunes that sadly got canned by PlayStation at the end of the day. But um, I, I reached out to the studio because they had just kind of uh, a few key members from other big studio uh, went the, the separate routes and created this other video game studio. And I reached out to them and I was like, hey, I love what you guys did here. I know you guys are starting a new venture. Uh, I've written all this music in the past that I think is kind of in line with what you guys are doing. Uh, I just wanted to send it to you guys and say, I love what you do. And you know, I must have sent hundreds of those emails and most of the time you don't even hear back. Yeah. But this one, they actually heard it and they loved it and they invited me for a meeting and then it went well and just ended up scoring like three or four projects with them. And wow. that's, yeah, that's kind of how it is. You know, you send hundreds of emails or phone calls and most of them are not going to have the time or not won't be interested, but just that one that goes like, this is cool. Let's get this guy in. You know, that could be your next gig. You know? Nice. I want to, I, uh, I want to ask you maybe one more question on this. You said that a lot of it is just networking and knowing people. Is there a direct correlation of you having to live where you are like in, in LA to make your career happen? Or cause like, you know, music can happen online or whatever. And I'm assuming, please tell me if I'm wrong. I'm just making this up in my head that you're working a little bit more solo um, in creating the music versus like a, like collaboratively as like, I don't know, like a, a team of, animators and storyboarders or whatever it might like right. do you think you could have done what you did and reached out to hundreds of people if you lived say still in mexico or or london or like even in toronto where i am and still made it happen i i think i think it's <clears throat> i think an argument can be made for both things but i do think it's tricky to sort of keep your finger on the pulse of what the industry where the industry is going and what is going on 
if you're not based at the place where you want to collaborate. Because let's say, you know, let's say I decided to move to Toronto, but my most of my clients are in LA. Um, I could kind of come back, go back and forth between LA and Toronto. But the reality is if like a, if like a director calls me up and says, hey, Kevin, uh, you know, the last three cues that you sent me are kind of not working because we let, can we meet up and discuss kind of a new direction for the music? And I'm, you know, all the way in a different part of the country or in a different country, that's going to be challenging. Yeah. And I think some directors or most directors and producers would like, you know, their talent to kind of be local or accessible to them to sort of uh, troubleshoot anything that might need troubleshooting, in a, gotcha. you know, easily. Um, I think other than that, you can do the work anywhere. Like most of my work is being in my cave, you know, in front of a screen, banging away at the keyboard and recording and playing music all day. But I think the human aspect of the creative interactions can be kind of difficult if you're based somewhere else. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, yeah. so thank you for that answer. Now let's maybe fast forward to Frank Elda. So your first job you got from sending 6,000 emails and one person <laughs> saying yes. How did you end up working on Frank Elda, which, uh, you know, is this amazing stop motion production that has been, I feel like I've been following it forever and it's still not out. <laughs> it's, man, yeah, it's been a ride. So uh, the the Ambrise, the Ambrise brothers, uh, Vono and Roy, who are the creators of the show, they're the owners of Cinema Fantasma, who's the, yeah, the production yeah, yeah. company. Yeah. Um, I got introduced to them by, by a friend in common. Uh, at the time, Frankelda wasn't even in their side. They were, uh, and they're still developing a, uh, a feature film called uh, The Ballad of the Phoenix, which is a, they're a feature film in stop motion. Mm -hmm. And they, they needed to sort of brainstorm uh, kind of what the music, you know, the, the, the music world was going to sound like. And a friend of mine kind of spoke very highly of me. He was very sweet uh, to them. And he said, like, hey, I think you guys can do something really cool. You guys should go to Kevin. Uh, you know, definitely. Did this Was this a coworker friend who had worked with you professionally or just a coincidental friend who had to, happened to know them? Yeah, no, this was a networking thing. This person had uh, dubbed, uh, uh, did the, the sound mix for a feature animation film that I did a couple of years before. Okay. And he loved what I did with the music. So uh, he was based in Mexico City at the time. Uh, next time I went to Mexico, he was like, hey, man, come to the studio. Let's chat because I love what you did. And we out of that, we became good friends. And because we became good friends and he loved what I did, he recommended me to them. Nice. So more to the point, it's just it's it's really word of mouth. It's crazy. Um, and you can always see like the little you can see the, what trickles down as to how you meet people. It's it's kind of nuts. Um, it's almost yeah, like the, I, the more projects you're involved in, the more opportunities you get aware of and the more, you know, work you end yeah. up doing. Yeah. So I, I got to them because of that project. And then I think the year later, and they, they liked what I did. And the year later, Cartoon Network asked them to do like a little pilot short. I think it was like four or five minutes long of Frank Kelda. And, you know, that just it was like a YouTube digital only thing. And people kind of really resonated with it, with that project. And there was like a bunch of fan arts that they got. And, you know, because there's there's really not that much stuff like that coming out of Mexico, you know. Yeah, so yeah, people yeah. got really excited about it. And I think a few months after that, they called me up and they were like, you know, uh, we just spoke with Cartoon Network uh, and HBO and they want to they want to do a series of this thing. 
And, you know, <clears throat> and I didn't score the pilot, by the way. I think that was such a tiny thing that they, I think they used either library music or they collaborated with like a, a like a band that they knew that they were very friendly with. So they kind of helped them out. Uh, so I wasn't really involved with the pilot thingy uh, that they did on YouTube. Um, but when they got picked up for a series, they were like, I think we need something more kind of cinematic, kind of like a different scope. Because even the tone of the of the series shifted towards something a little darker and more interesting than what they did with the pilot. I I think that's really cool. Maybe using like Frank Elda as, a, as kind of the project for this conversation I guess. um so you're brought in early to do some exploratory exploratory sound for what the project could look like and then you're brought in to actually compose for episodes is that is that typical to like be brought in at the start when they're when something's being pitched and to create something uh so yes and no i i i know the time as a composer especially in live action i'm so used to being brought you know <laughs> I have a month and a half. We need the music to get done. Everyone's tired, we're running out of money and patience, and just we just need someone to get it done. Oh no! You want to be <laughs> at know. the start when they have lots of money, <laughs> right? Well, everyone's just like tired, and they've been on this project for like sometimes years. And you know, even even if you're super passionate about a project, sometimes it gets to a point where it's like, I just want this to be out. You know what yeah. I mean? So, my recommendation for people starting out that are kind of figuring out how to work with composers is figure out who you want to work with before you start animating, before when you have a script and there's something real that's going to happen, maybe starting production, figure out what you can want to, who you want to work with and start having a conversation early. And this project is a perfect example as to why I recommend that. Because when we started with Frank Helda, they had like, you know, they, start, they started doing all the, all the arts and they had the scripts for the episodes and they called me up and because I had already done stuff for them, they were like, you're in, we want you to score it, you know. Uh, but they said, you know, it's going to take some time to animate, but there's a song in one of the, in one of the episodes. And it wasn't just a song of like, uh, you know, let's write a song for the sake of a song. It was like a plot point within the script. Hmm. And they said like, we want you to do the song and we need it to animate too. So we're going to need that before we start animating. And I told them like, I'm, you know, I'm more of a composer. I haven't really done much songwriting, at least lady, lately. Uh, and they were very adamant. Like, I want you, we want you to do the song. So I did the song and funny enough, they liked the song so much that they kind of restructured the whole show. And then they turned it into a part musical where like every episode was gonna have a song that was kind of very reminiscent of like, kind of like the old school, like Disney Renaissance sort of thing. And so now the whole, because we worked on that song before they started animating, the whole scope of the show changed. And now I had to write, instead of one, I had to write like five or six songs for the show before they started animating. And in the process of like working on those five or six songs, I got to even pitch, I got to even pitch ideas for the animation when we were like writing the songs. And I would be like, hey, it would be cool if this character would do this because in the song, this is happening. Can we make that happen? And they were very receptive to that. And they were like, yeah, that would be awesome. Let's do that. And then even more things changed because of that. So the product that we ended up with was so different than what it would have been had they not got someone to work on the music kind of early. This sounds like a dream project, maybe. <laughs> but Man, it was, 
yeah, it was delightful. It was so much fun. Amazing. But what you're telling me is, you know, like uh, music can be so important to what you're creating. It should just be integrated from the start instead of this like last minute, we need some music put slapped onto this type of thing. And, and probably, I mean, like, you know, I haven't seen Frank Elder. I didn't know what it was before the songs or after I'm assuming it's probably enhanced the storytelling and everything just by, you know, integrating the music from the start instead of an afterthought. That's really cool. Um, yeah, well, we'll, 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 we'll talk later. I, I might be able to show a little bit to you after, after we're done with <laughs> yeah. the with interview. <laughs> Okay. I mean, I was, I, so like what, it, okay. Can you enlighten me on kind of what your daily root like activities are as you're songwriting? Like, you know, you've, you, you're brought into the pipeline and this mm -hmm. project specifically early. And then what does your day look like? Are you, you said you're just going away at the keyboard all day, like, or are you, you know, testing out riffs over and over and over again, you know, trying to think of a new chorus <laughs> or do you have like a whole, like, uh, you know, uh, uh a bag of tricks that you can pull from and just be like, put this here, make it sound a little bit different. Uh, I don't know. Sort of. I mean, so the, the first thing that you that you kind of go through is uh, at least for, for scoring, for uh, underscore, you kind of do a spotting session of the shows of the film of like, you know, you sit down with the filmmakers and you talk about where you want music, what type of music, whatnot. With the songs, it's, it's a little bit different because we didn't have anything to look at other than the art. So it was more of a, just a general creative brief where it was like, you know, we want the song to sort of be in this world and maybe they'll give me a couple of references and they'll be like, but we want it to be spookier than this. We want it to be more dramatic than this. You know, it needs to last sort of this, it needs to be sort of this length. And then I'll take that and go to the studio and yeah, just, you know, for me with underscore it comes a little bit more intuitively because I've done so much of it at uh, this point that you know I kind of know what things work and what don't but there is there is a moment especially at the beginning of a project where it's just kind of experimentation where you can just like you know throw you know the, the kitchen sink to the wall and see what happens you know and like do all these weird sounds and some of it will stick some of it won't but you'll have hopefully something different and original that works for the show that is not the same thing you've been doing before yeah, I wanted to ask you how you make that happen. How do you how do you find the sound of a sh show to make it sound original? Like, do you, and are you developing like motifs or like you know specific moments that are repetitive throughout different episodes to make it sound the same? Because like you know when I'm watching animation, uh, sound is something that if it's done really well, it just fits, and I'm not thinking about it, I guess right versus right. Yeah, I mean. In Frankelda specifically, the, the score is super thematic. And what I mean by thematic is like there's very defined melodies hmm. for characters or and or situations that kind of keep coming back in the show. And it's also a very kind of acoustic organic show. You know, there were we knew we didn't want like crazy electronics or anything. We wanted to be like kind of a very classic orchestral palette for the score. And um and then once you start, you just kind of try and find the, the soul, what makes the show tick. And then yeah. you try and translate that musically, which is probably one of the fun parts as a composer because because music is, is one of the most abstract of the arts. There's kind of not, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just either it works or it kind of doesn't. And then you kind of change as you go to make it work, you know? 
yeah, there's really no magic formula. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm wondering, so you've worked on non-stop motion productions and stop motion productions. Like with stop motion for me, um, for instance, I will have a shot and I know what, hap I know what hap has to happen in the shot, but the timing and when it happens is kind of up to so many factors. Like, you know, your puppet is supposed to walk from here to here in the shot, but you realize in stop motion, there's so many, you know, there's so many restraints that you only get them this way and then you have to cheat things. So how, when you get everything finalized, are you creating the music to how the uh, animators were ended up timing things? Cause I, I'm just trying to say like, I would expect you can't really time things too much to a storyboard with stop motion when beforehand, when the, the puppet might not actually do that thing at the exact moment that you've uh, right. called for cinematic I mean, thing to happen. Um, man, that would be a great question for Roy and Bono because you know the, the actual score was written to picture once they were done animating. So oh, okay. the, the cuts were locked and I scored the cuts. However, the songs weren't. All yeah. the songs were written before any animation was done. And I saw, you know, we were happy with the songs, you know, nailed them, delivered them. And next time I saw them, they were already in the cut and they were perfectly animated to the music. Gotcha. Uh, so they, they did it frame by frame. The music stayed the same and they just animated towards it and it looked awesome. Uh, I don't know how the hell they did it, but they did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, okay. So you're brought in after, typically after everything is finalized, I guess. All every, so like how... But you also said that you were brought in at the start that you influenced the story. So like, is there a big gap in between you working at the start and then coming in at the end? Oh yeah, we, we were in this project for like a year and a half or, or more than a year and a half. And it was like a ton of work at the beginning, then a massive like a year gap or something. And then a ton of work at the end. Oh, wow. uh, because yeah, because we had to work on the songs, have all of those ready, which was a lot of work at the beginning, you know, recording talent, uh, recording the talent, writing the songs, recording, we recorded some orchestra for the songs and all that happened at the very beginning. Then they had to actually go and animate the whole thing. Yeah. And then like, at the guys, end, hopefully. Yeah. And then at the very end, you know, the last weeks before delivery, that was like the scoring section when we sat down, had this plotting session and wrote all the rest of the, all the score. But because we already had all the songs, there was kind of already like, um, there were some, already some themes in the show and there was a palette that we were happy with. So it didn't feel like I was starting from zero. Mm -hmm. It almost felt like I was taking over from where we left off with the songs. So we moved a lot faster than if we had not had that before. This brings me to another question that I kind of uh, had for you overall, but maybe you'll answer through this. So for this project, you knew you were coming back to do the final score. So you, you knew you had like a year off to just do whatever you want or like find a year contract or a six month contract or something. How often are you contract? Like everything is contract to contract. I'm assuming what does yeah. your year look like then? Like, is it, is it always a scramble to get new work? Is it like, you know, how stable? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, because composers are freelance by nature. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to predict exactly how the year is going to look like, but sometimes you'll get, you know, a month or two where things are like super slow. And then you'll get the next three months when you're like in two projects at the same time and you just have to get everything done. 
which is hectic. And then you'll have another month where you're like very relaxed and it's kind of this up and down sort of a thing. Usually uh, projects do overlap a little bit. So when you're working with, with kind of long projects like this, where it takes like a year and a half to come from like, you know, the, the moment you sign the contract to the moment you deliver everything, kind of a lot of things happen in between. And mm. it's just kind of like an overarching thing that you're kind of always thinking about, you know, in the back of your head. Um, but yeah, projects have to overlap. There's no other way. So that means sure. that you're going crazy sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's part of the job. Sometimes you have to pull a couple of like long nights and, but you know, when you love what you do, it's fine. So you've never been you in know? a situation where a project is ending and a project is starting and you don't have enough time in the day to do both and you have to make some sacrifices and make some people upset and uh, cry? No, I mean, you, I, that's never happened. I can't imagine it will happen. I think, I, I, I think a key thing also that people need to understand about composers is that, you know, the idea that there's like a lone composer in a room writing absolutely everything and orchestrating everything and preparing all the parts. It's like, it's just impossible. You know, we, we have teams of people that help us out. You know, mm. if I, if, if we need to record something with an orchestra and I need to jump on the next queue for the next project, I'll bring in an orchestrator to help me orchestrate what I already wrote so that the orchestra oh. has parts for the next day while I can work on this other thing, you know? Oh, wow. If you okay. need, you know, if you already mapped a queue, but it needs to conform to a new cut that came in, but I also need to deliver this other queue, maybe an assistant will come in and be like, okay, I'll edit the stems while you work on the other queue and save time, you know? So it's like, it's really a team effort that happens, uh, especially with projects when they start overlapping and they're bigger projects, uh, you need a team. You cannot do absolutely everything by yourself. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. So um, what kind of, I guess, what kind of like mental or just like skills does it take to make a good, to be a, you know, a well-wanted careerist in composing for film and, and video games, et cetera? Like, what are some of the skills that keep you getting hired? Like you mentioned your friend was like, work with Kevin. He's great. Like, why do you think they chose you? Like, what are, what are some of those things you've developed that have made you, uh, you know, build your career in this? Right. I mean, creatively, I think, I think I would love to say, you know, be unique, have a voice, you know, all the corny things that everyone says, but that there is some truth behind it, you know, kind of. That's why everybody says them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and, and although that is certainly true, I think there's also an aspect of it where it's like, you know, just be nice. No one wants to work with someone that's like a pain in the butt. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, understand that if you're a composer and you're kind of starting out, understand that making revisions and changes to the music is just part of your job. Have you ever been in a situation where like, this is so, where you're like, this is BS. Like what they're asking me to do is ridiculous. Like I should just call them out and be like, cause you said, be nice. Right. But what is that? In, like, how, what does that mean? You know, like, well, I mean, I mean look, I, the first thing that, 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 that composers need to understand is that it's not, it's not a music video. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, a joint effort between the DP, the animators, the character modelers, the director, the producer, like everyone's chiming in to do something and you're just a part of that. So I do think it's my job that if, if a director comes to me, be it animation or not, and they said, I want to go from A to B with the music. And I think this is how we should do it. If I think that's not the right way to do it, I think it's my job as a professional composer to be like, we can certainly try that, 
Although, let me try this other thing because I think it's going to be more successful to get to the same thing that you're telling me to. Hmm. And then whether he likes that or not, and we go with this original idea, it's totally up to him. And honestly, I'm happy to do either. You know, it's it's not my place to be like, this is how the music should sound like, you know? It's his vision. I'm like trying to, to find musically what his vision is within yeah. the scope of the project. So, you know, it's never, you know, sometimes it takes a couple, especially when you work with someone new, Sometimes it takes a couple of versions to sort of figure out, you know, what's in someone's headspace. Because music is so abstract and what, you know, you know, for a, a perfect example, I was working in this feature film, animated feature film a few years ago. And the director keeps telling me like, I want like very spooky, like a spooky, the, sp the spooky sound, I think he called it, uh, in this and that part. And to me, what I thought he meant as spooky was like this very low rumble, grumbly sound that I had been using. And he, for him, spooky was like super high pitched. Like and a theremin it took me, or something. <laughs> yeah, it was like a super high, like string sound ah. thing thing. So to me, the spooky thing was a low rumble, but for, for him, the spooky thing was a high pitched sound. And it took me, you know, it, it takes a, a, a couple of tries to workshop things and understand what's happening in his head and sort of fix it in the music. But, you know, it's it's a collaborative effort. And I think most directors, especially good ones, kind of understand that. Yeah. So, you know, revisions are part of the job. It's never it's never an issue. So I've in my limited uh, experience, I've worked with a couple of composers on some of the projects I've worked on. And I personally find it extremely difficult to explain in words, what kind of sounds and music I'm looking for. Even when I'm like searching through sounds and music libraries, I'm like typing in like quirky fun, like just to try to, like it's so hard to uh, put into words the type of music I want, partially because you said it's so abstract, right? So are there like, you know, are there tips on how to talk about or find or uh you know just in you working with directors over years and and like communicating what they want and what you can create for them yeah i mean the first piece of advice that i would give is 100 percent is not your job to talk music you know you shouldn't try and go to the composer and tell him what keys should be in or what instruments or you know you should you should go to a composer and be like i want the music to feel this way i yeah. want it to work in this way the story is about this and it's something that musically represents this, yada, yada, yada. Okay. And it's the jobs of the composer to take that and be like, okay, I can create this, I can create this, I can create this. What do you think? And see if any of that resonates with you as a director. Okay. Um, the, other, the other thing I was going to say that is very helpful to do is, is use uh, temp music, which is a reference, you know, it's like, hey, this score I liked. Uh, I didn't like this about the score. I didn't like this, but I did like this and this about about the score. And now you have a reference, roughly, of what the where he's what he's thinking. Um, nice. Be careful with temp, but you know it could be a very useful tool, especially if you're a little bit lost as to what you want to do. Gotcha. So next time, like uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking of making another short film and working with somebody. Instead of saying like, you know, I, I think it'd be great if we start with like uh, this type of noise and we go into this, it, I should instead say like, I want to feel this way as the story progresses. I think I think that's that's a lot less restrictive as yeah. to, you know, kind of letting the composer 
speak a little bit and have creative freedom with his music, but also kind of being very clear about what the, what the role of the music should be at any given point. So you can say, you know, we start and I want it to, I want it to be very stuffed and loving. I want the music to not be very busy. And yeah. then in this part, I want it to build into like a big moment and it's to be heroic and fun and adventurous. And then at the end, I need to be very sad and kind of understated, maybe not too busy with not a lot of instruments. Okay. You know, that's, that, that's a great way to approach a composer and the composer immediately is going to be like, okay, I know exactly where he's going. And if, that, then if you see the film, and it's, the, the film already speaks to you. So based on what you're seeing in the film and the direction that you gave your composer, that makes that is going to make total sense. Have you ever been in a situation, well, I guess you described with the high pitch, the emotion. I was going to say, have you ever been in a situation where like, you know, you're getting feedback, but you're not understanding it. And like, you just keep meeting standstills with what's going on because of the lack of communication between the different arts. Sometimes it happens, but eventually you always get there. You know, yeah. sometimes it takes one or two tries. Sometimes it takes more than that. You know, usually there's always one problematic cue. That's kind of the cue that you hate that, you know, you're going to have to come back and back to. But if I'm honest with you, you know, even though it's more work and it can get tiring to kind of revisit the same music over and over again, you know, I've, I've done the exercise of sitting down at the end of a project when I'm like kind of relaxed and we delivered everything's kind of feeling happy about it and watching version one of what I did and version whatever it would have been nine ten two that I did and 99% of the times the later version is better than what I wrote in version one totally. so even totally. though it's a lot of work it's you you know you workshop to get to the best version of what that music can be and it's not just the music being good but rather how it's working with the film yeah how long how just curious how long does it take to create music for just one episode like a regular 11 minute or 20 minute episode of a tv show so for frank Hilda, we were doing kind of an episode a week sort of a schedule um uh i've seen you know you get the same sort of timeline sometimes for 30 minutes at 30 minute episodes uh yeah wow with with, with streaming sometimes it's a little different like for network you kind of have a very because it's airing as you're uh, working, you have a very kind of solid uh, schedule to to fall back on. So you know that what you're going to write is going to mix, then the next episode is going to come in, and then you're going to write and it's going to mix, and then the next episode is going to, and by the time you're done the third episode, the first one is already airing. Yeah. Uh, with streaming, that's kind of changed a little bit because you kind of score the whole thing, and then the whole thing comes out. So it gives you a little bit of of a chance to you know if you did something in episode five that you were like, oh, this would be a really great thing to bring into episode one. If it hasn't mixed, you kind of have the option to do that, which is nice. awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, you talked about a lot about, you know, uh, figuring out what the director wants and what's the, the right music composition for uh, the things you're working on. Are you also trying to create your own stuff on the side or do you, are you working towards something d different or? Yeah, I've, I've not at the moment. I haven't had a, a, a ton of time. I started doing a little bit of uh, concert music just for the sake, you know, classical music, just for the sake of like me having an output during the pandemic. Um, I haven't finished it yet. So it's kind of something that's still in the, you know, in progress. Uh, but it is something I want to pursue a little bit more in the future. Um, nice. 
So no news at the moment, but hopefully, hopefully soon. <laughs> so what is it? What does a career as a composer look like? You, you is it like, uh, you know, is it kind of clear cut where you start as a junior and work your way into like, I don't know, television series and then feature or is it, like, I don't know, tell me, tell me how it goes. Like, what is the next step for you from this point? Because you worked on feature films, you've worked on TV. I think it's anything. I mean, I think I think the the kind of old school idea of like, you know, film is cool and TV is kind of a stepping stone. It's, I feel like that's kind of, you know, antiquated. I feel like some, a lot of the coolest content is now on TV, you know, streaming and, you know. So I think it, it it's, it's not, I don't think it's one better than the other. There's like slight differences. Yeah. But, you know, I want to do more film. I want to do more TV. I, I certainly want to do more video games. That was really fun, even though I haven't done a ton of that lately. So what is like the, what is the, like your dream project and how would you work towards it, I guess? Or is it just to continue making a career out of this? I think, well, I mean, there's certainly, you know, goals that I have, uh, people, uh, studios that I would like to work, you know, I would love to work with Disney or some on something. I would work to do something with Leica, you know, yeah. I love, always been a massive fan of what they do. Uh, there's filmmakers creatively that resonate with me, you know. Obviously, being Mexican, I would love to work with uh, some Mexican filmmakers, you know, like the usual spot suspects, Guillermo del Toro, uh, Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, I mean, even uh, Patricia Regan, who's like uh, maybe slightly less known director, she's killing it, but for whatever reason, she's a little less known. Uh, I would love to work with her. You know, there's, there's people that I would love to work with. I don't know, there's like a particular project that I would be like, you know, it's hard to me. It's hard for me to imagine me being in a project that is already musicalized by someone else. You know mm. what I mean? Because the music has so much personality within that project. Right. That that it's sense. kind of hard. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me. You know, I think you know, uh, John Powell's score for How to Train a Dragon. I think it's a masterpiece. I cannot imagine anyone else writing the music for that movie. It's just beyond my comprehension. You know what I mean? So more than a specific project, I would be like. I would love to talk to Lycan and see if we can do something in the future or talk to Guillermo and see if I can do his next movie or that sort of thing. Have new creative things going on with, with specific people or studios is what I'm most interested in. Makes sense. Makes sense. I guess as, as maybe we're wrapping up, do you have any final advice for people who are pursuing a career in, in what you've chosen to pursue a career in? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's it's not it's kind of a, a long marathon. So don't get burnt out, uh, you know, know that it's going to take years and make sure you're passionate and happy enough doing it for the sake of doing it, because sometimes that's what it takes. Um, treasure your network, you know, the people mm. that you meet don't I try to find the humanity in, in networking, which is not just they're not just people are not just stepping stones for, you know, a reason or for a career goal, but rather yeah. try to connect on a personal level with people. And I've found that the people that really recommend you for things are people that I've kind of found to be friends. Totally. You know? So that would be that would be my that would be my 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 advice. Well nice. Is there anything else you wanted to share that we didn't talk about that you think is important to mention? Um well uh, just being Mexican I would say uh it would be great for Hollywood to look a little bit more representation for his Hispanic composers. There's not a lot of A-list composers out there. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's a great resource for people. Uh, there's a group called the Composers Diversity Collective, hmm. uh, which is a group of us of very diverse backgrounds. 
we're all composers. Uh, so if you are looking into hiring uh, or supporting diverse voices in, in the film and TV industry, certainly have a look at that. It's called the Composer uh, Diversity Collective. Yeah, Composer Perfect. Diversity Collective. Um, Latinx in animation as well. A lot of La uh, Latino, Latinas uh, doing amazing work in the animation industry. Um, and, you know, I'll, always remember that we can do more than mariachi music, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, great, great words to end off on. Well, thanks. Thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. I love learning about, you know, your journey into this, uh, how the whole process works, how I can improve what I'm doing by working with composers maybe a little bit earlier in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah. What's heading next? I'm super happy we got to chat. Thank you so much. Uh, the pleasure was mine, man. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And if you're listening and uh, of course you want to check out Frank Helder when it comes out uh, from Cinema Phantasma as well. I'll include the links for Composer Diversity Collective and the Latinx and Animation. And if you want to follow or get in touch with Kevin, you can do so by checking out his website, which is kevinsmithers.com or look him up on Instagram, which is kevinsmithersmusic. And that's all for now. All those description, I'll, I'll put all those links in the description of this chat and that's all for now. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.